0: There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate
1: health questions. And we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Cassandra Holloway, and you're listening to the Health Essentials podcast brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Today we're broadcasting virtually as we are respecting the social distancing initiative that our hospital as well as our community has set for us. We're joined virtually by Dr. Frank Esper. Dr. Esper, thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak with us.
0: Oh, it's very good to be here.
1: Dr. Esper is a pediatric infectious disease specialist at Cleveland Clinic Children's, and today we're going to be talking about the 2019 novel coronavirus, COVID-19. We're clearing up some myths about the virus that seem to be making their way around, especially on social media, and we'll do our best to make sure we separate fact from fiction. Before we dive into all that, we wanna remind our listeners that this is for informational purposes only and should not replace your own doctor's advice. So, Dr. Esper, there's a lot of information out there right now. Everywhere you look, uh, websites are putting out content, publishing articles. Social media is crazy with all of these articles. What's your general advice about making sure you're looking at reliable information?
0: Yeah, listen, the the, the information is out there. Um, It's all that we've been talking about for the last, you know, several months. Uh, I actually look forward to hearing some non-coronavirus news. God help me, someday I'll be able to talk about salmonella again and all these other germs that are out there. But right now, it, coronavirus is, is just inundating everywhere and, and any, any time you turn on a TV or, or you, you go to a website. Uh, it's very difficult, though, um, because some of, the, some of the information that you get may not be accurate or may be someone's opinion, but it looks more like a, a, uh, an official recommendation or um, based on science and that science may or may not have been real. Um, the best thing to do, though, is to generally not go to every source out there on the internet, but to really focus on several different sources that are really giving you the most up-to-date information. Uh, the the first place that I uh, generally go would be for the Centers for Disease Control or the World Health Organization. The Centers for Disease Control will tell you what's going on in the nation as a whole, and it gives you uh, it basically is able to bring all the types of information from all the different Uh, medical literature, scientific literature, but then present it in a way that a lot of people can understand, that you don't have to to understand the science, but you can understand what they're trying to tell you and what what, what it all means. The World Health Organization tells you what's going on in the world. The other place to really go is to your state uh, health department. Um, uh, Ohio has a fantastic one, but a lot of states have very, very good um, health uh, information specific to your state. And all of those really um, are giving you very good information in ways that you can read. If you want some of the science and you say, I want to see that study, go to a place like New England Journal of Medicine or JAMA. Because if you just go to there, they have a link where it just basically brings up all the papers that they have published on COVID-19. And then you can actually, if you have the ability to understand the science and maybe some of the the, the, the methods that they're using, but you can actually see the data. You can actually see the numbers, uh, where it was from, how it was done, who did it, all that. So if you go to those types of sources, I think you'll get a very good understanding of what's going on and where we're going.
1: Absolutely. Instead of just seeing something on Facebook that your aunt is posting about. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's
0: also one of the things, I mean, a, Facebook is a fantastic thing, but I would say that Facebook, most of Facebook, what you get is opinion. And if you really want to allow where where people's opinion and fact come together, that's going to be in places like Centers of Disease Control, uh, the Ohio Department of Health. Um, and it's also very important not just to check it once and then walk away. I mean, you should check that two times a week at least because the information is coming in so much, so fast. And a lot of things that we said last week are no longer applying this week. And that's one of the reasons why people can get so overwhelmed with all the information that's out there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, changes quick. So let's dive into some of these statements and claims that um, we're hearing and kind of get your expert opinion on them. So we keep hearing about lemon juice or lemon water, whether you're gargling with it or you're drinking it. It said that viruses can't live in acidic environments. Is there any truth in lemon juice protecting you from COVID-19?
0: Right. Uh, There are many, many different viruses out there and some may be much more susceptible to uh, lemon than others. But uh, this virus, uh, we've actually done that uh, study, they did a great study where it showed how well uh, a virus can survive in outdoor, this particular virus, coronavirus, can survive in outdoor environments, one of which was uh, based on the pH, because that's what lemon juice is, it's just acidic fluid, okay? Uh, and if it's, can, can the virus survive in acid? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Uh, this virus was shown to be viable down to a pH of three, which is about where lemon juice would be. Um, and that's straight lemon juice, not diluted, um, and anytime you dilute something, the pH will go right back up. So uh, gargling with lemon juice um, and water, probably not going to be um, useful. Now, for those people who actually have sore throats, um, gargling with hot water or, or lukewarm water with salt is sometimes really helps uh, uh, or heal a sore throat. Um, but I wouldn't use anything with acid in it because that would, like lemon juice or, or orange juice or anything like that, because that usually irritates a, a, an already inflamed throat.
1: Great. Great advice. So the next one is, can mosquito bites spread COVID-19?
0: Yeah. No. Thankfully. All right. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of bright spots. A, we don't have a lot of mosquitoes in April, thankfully. Uh, but B, uh, this is not a bloodborne infection. Uh, that's what mosquitoes transmit. Mosquitoes are basically biting someone, getting their blood, and then going off and biting someone else, and inserting that blood, and then taking more, et cetera. And so that's how mosquito-borne or mosquito spreads infections. And so those infections have to be in the blood. Things like malaria, things like West Nile, uh, those can live in the blood. The, this virus, while they have shown that you could detect the, um, uh, the, the virus a very short amount of time in the blood, it is not something that's prevalent uh, in uh, the blood and it stays in there very long. So this is not one of the ways that uh, uh, this virus uh, transmits. Also the the way it does transmit with all the coughing and all the sneezing and and the close proximity to one another, that's so much more effective than mosquito transmission. Mosquito transmission is very, very slow, it takes a long time, I mean you're waiting for a mosquito to fly from one person to another as opposed to going into a uh, you know a crowded restaurant and a cough can spread it to a bunch of people at the same time. Respiratory transmission is much, much more uh, transducive to infection than uh, mosquito-borne uh, transmission.
1: Another important reason and reminder to practice social distancing like we're supposed to be.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely.
1: So sticking with the blood theme, what about blood donations. Is it first safe to still donate blood right now? Right. And second, is it true that you get tested for COVID-19 when you go in to donate?
0: All right. Uh the answer the for those two questions, it's still very important for us to donate blood. Um, blood is not when you donate blood, you're actually donating a lot of things. You're donating uh the red blood cells, you're donating platelets, you're donating antibody. There's a lot of things that we can get plasma. A lot of things that we can get from one person's blood donation. Uh, and all of these are very, very important to people who either have uh, in the infection or other people that don't have anything to do with uh, this coronavirus. You know, a person who gets into a car accident. Car accidents are still happening. Um, people who are uh, require um, chemotherapy for their cancer. The cancer didn't go away. They still need these types of blood products. And, it, and unfortunately, we are very in short supply. I could tell you that the Red Cross and all the blood Um, collection is still adhering to social distancing, so you're not seeing these beds lined up next to each other. They are very well spaced out. You will be asked about symptoms and signs of uh, infection when you come in, and so in that case you will be screened verbally to see if you have symptoms or you're someone that may have uh, a, a viral infection, and if you do, they may say, you know, you shouldn't donate blood today. But they will not do a blood test to see, or a, I'm sorry, the blood test or a swab to see if you have the virus. All right, we don't have enough of those tests out there. And so they do not test when you uh, uh, donate blood with a swab in your nose or in your throat.
1: It's great advice. I think we still need to have that reminder out there that, that people still need these donations. We still need people to donate blood, like you said. They are
0: vitally important and they are vi- they are in critical short supply. Uh, if there's one thing that you could do to help other people out there, in addition to staying at home, in addition to the social distancing, is to find out where they are donating blood and, and to, to help that way.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think our listeners will appreciate, yeah, having something that they could help with for sure. So, this next one I feel like was one of the first viral. Uh, kind of messages going around. It's the breath test. So, is, is it true that if you can hold your breath for ten seconds, you don't have COVID nineteen? Yeah,
0: uh, that's that's not true. Um, you know, certainly the, this is a this is a, a breathing um, virus. It, it comes in for the most part by bra- by breathing. Um, it's a it's it's expelled with coughing. It's expelled with sneezing. And in the worst case scenarios, it causes pneumonia. And so, if you have a really really bad pneumonia. You will have a hard time catching your breath and all that. But By then, you'll have a whole bunch of other symptoms like fear and sweats, many times sore throats or body aches or something. Um, it's actually fairly uncommon for people just to show up out of the blue with pneumonia. Um, and so this, this breath holding test is no good way to, um, uh, to, to say that you had this virus or that you're free of this virus. Um, just because you can hold your breath for 10 seconds doesn't mean you can't catch the virus and doesn't mean that you don't have the virus already. Um, so, no, it's, that's, that's a complete myth.
1: Speaking of pneumonia, is it true that the pneumonia shot can protect you against COVID-19?
0: You know, that's a great question because uh, the pneumonia shot can help you uh, prevent against getting really sick with other types of viruses. So, um, for example, influenza, uh, which we are finally coming out of the influenza season, uh, but influenza can lead to second infections with other types of bacteria that the pneumonia shot prevents. And so sometimes, you know, we say, yeah, we want you to get your flu shot, but also get your pneumonia shot because flu usually follows pneumonia. This coronavirus causes pneumonia all by itself. Uh, And while many, many patients do get placed on antibiotics, there has not been a substantial uh, number of uh, uh, studies out there that say that there's a lot of bacterial uh, infections in addition to the coronavirus. The coronavirus is bad enough on its own it's still important for you to get the pneumonia shot, okay? Those germs that are causing pneumonia are still out there. They're, they aren't basically waiting on the sidelines for this coronavirus to finish its job. No, they're still out there, so it's still important to talk to your doctor. If you need a pneumonia shot, you should be getting a pneumonia shot. All children are getting pneumonia shots on their schedule. Adults should be getting uh, pneumonia shots on their schedule, but the pneumonia shot doesn't do anything for this coronavirus.
1: Gotcha. So moving on to the next claim here, um, it's about alcohol. So can we use vodka as hand sanitizer? Uh,
0: yeah, I'd rather use it as, as mouth sanitizer. It's pretty good. But the, um, the, 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 it, it can be true that, and there, there are a lot of different um, uh, recipes out there that people have actually used um, alcohol. Uh, to make their own hand sanitizer, especially when hand sanitizer is in uh, short supply. And some of the distilleries are actually providing their alcohol for um, the makers uh, for hand sanitizer. But you have to understand that um, hand sanitizer to be truly effective needs to be at least 70% um, alcohol by volume in that particular construct. So usually it's a bunch of alcohol with a little little gelatin there to kind of give it a little bit of more uh, integrity. But the uh, but just by itself, pouring alcohol on your hands, no, it's not necessarily any good. And anything that really needs to be has to be at least seventy percent. Now there is vodka out there. I've heard some Russian vodka that goes up to like ninety-five percent or so. But uh, most of the vodka that you'll see, if it's a twenty percent or thirty percent, that won't that won't really make good hand sanitizer at all.
1: Gotcha. So let's talk about how long the virus can live on certain surfaces. Do we know the survival rates for certain surfaces?
0: Yeah, uh, there, there have been a lot of studies that are now coming out uh, telling us how long this virus can last uh, on surfaces and different types of surfaces. Um, for the most part, the, the, it, it does not like to live on uh, surfaces that has a lot of holes in it, okay, or a lot of microscopic little grooves and nooks and crannies. It likes something that's very, very smooth. Uh, and so surfaces like uh, uh, steel um, or plastic, uh, it can last several days on that surface. So um, smooth plastic or uh, doorknobs and things like that, it can last um, on there for a little while. Whereas things like cardboard, you can imagine cardboard has all these little microscopic little holes in it, fabric, um, it, it does not uh, last very long in there, less than a day, only measured by, based on hours. The problem, though, and that's with, with a lot of these studies, is that just because you have a virus that's on, let's say, a doorknob, doesn't necessarily mean that that's enough virus to actually then jump onto your skin and then from your skin into your, um, you know, into your lungs or into your nose to cause an infection. It's called about, it's where you have to figure out what's the infectious dose. And we do know that as soon as these virus, viruses get out of a person from a cough, and let's say it lands on you know a, a table counter or a chair or something like that, it starts dying really quick. It, you know, it may, you know, we may be able to find some viable virus, You know, after a few days, but that is thousands of times less than what was actually deposited on that surface. And so as soon as it hits, you know, something that's just not alive and certainly not a human, it starts dying very, very quickly. And so it's still very unclear as to whether or not just because some you know there's a viral particle that's on a doorknob means that you can actually get infected. It may not meet that threshold number of viral particles that's required to cause an infection. That's the whole Infectious dose, um, and that still has to be figured out.
1: So you mentioned that the virus likes like smooth surfaces. What about like mail? Like getting an envelope in the mail? Would it be hanging out on your on your letter?
0: Yeah, I mean that's 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 the 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 concern. The um, but again, letter paper very porous doesn't really like that. Um, and you know when you're out in the elements, it also doesn't like to be out in the elements. Certainly, these many of these viruses seem to circulate in cold weather. It has a little bit better chance to last longer in the cold weather than it does in the warmer weather. But um, e- even so, it doesn't, if it's not in another person, um, it doesn't do very well. These viruses are required to uh, be inside a person in order for it to thrive, in order for it to live. Uh, how long it lasts, I think will be something that we will be understanding a lot more as time goes on. Uh, but am I worried about uh, catching this, uh, you know, virus from getting the mail in the morning? The answer is no. Um, certainly, people are looking at that. But even if there were viral particles on there, again, do you really have enough of those viral particles to cause a second infection? Probably not.
1: You said, yeah, like you said, what, what is the infectious dose? Right. You know, that would be required to get us sick. Yes. So you mentioned weather, and I wanted to ask about, you know, obviously it's spring right now, and mm-hmm. summer is quickly a up- approaching, do warmer temperatures, will they slow the spread of COVID-19? You know, that,
0: that remains to be seen. I don't think the, war- the summer is going to be some sort of silver bullet that's going to um, kill off this virus. Uh, and, but I do think it's going to help. Um, it's certainly, the viruses, and many of these viruses, this is an RNA virus. RNA is not very stable. Uh, it, gets, uh, uh, it, it falls apart in heat. It falls apart with UV radi- radiation. And so as we see more and more of that, because we're getting to the summer, the days are getting longer, the temperatures are getting higher, things can prevent, you know, that, uh, that, that virus from lasting longer in the world or even in your nose as, as you're breathing that warm and, and uh, uh, less humid air or more humid air in. But we have to understand, though, that just because you hit June doesn't mean the virus goes away. I mean, if you look at it, we have plenty of cases in Florida. Florida is very hot. You know, Florida is very, uh, you know, it's got some nice weather going on right now. We're seeing it in Australia. We're seeing it in South America. We're seeing it around the world. But when you actually look at, you know, the entire map and you go to the World Health Organization, they'll give you an entire world map. You will see that there is a lot more infections on the Northern Hemisphere than on the Southern Hemisphere. Is that because of testing? Maybe, but I have also have a feeling that the southern hemisphere, which in this case it is there, they're coming out of their summer, is not as conducive to uh, this virus as us who are just coming out of winter. And it very well may flop. And so next thing you know, you're going to see a lot more infections in this in uh, as as June, July, and August come in. It's going to be in the southern hemisphere and less so in the northern hemisphere, but. By itself, we just can't wait this out And saying that the the warm weather by itself is going to um, make this virus go away. It's all about social distancing right now.
1: Got you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about age here. So is it true that if you're young, you know, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, that you are immune to COVID-19 or if on the off chance that you do get it, that you'll be completely fine? Uh,
0: it's not an immunity you are just because you're under the age of 20 doesn't mean that you are immune to this virus This virus can cause co- can can infect any age uh, And can cause really really sick disease in any age However, those people who are younger are more resilient to the effects of this virus um, the, the younger uh, age groups uh, don't seem to be a- infected as much and Don't seem to get as sick uh, as older age groups, but that being said, we have seen plenty of uh, young children who have gotten very, very sick, and even died uh, from uh, this virus. This is a virus, it, it, it can kill you if you let it, and don't let it, don't get infected. Um, everybody deserves to be safe, and therefore that's why we have to say, yeah, the schools have to be closed, you know, the, the, everything has, everybody has to be safe, whether you're a small child or an older adult. And even if you don't get sick, it doesn't mean that a, a, a younger person can't transmit it to someone who can get very sick because they're in an older age group. So it's, it, we're all in this together, but we are very thankful that children, young adults, don't get nearly as sick and certainly don't have the death rate that older uh, individuals do. The most recent study from the Centers for Disease Control It's a few weeks old right now, but when they looked at the first 4,000 cases, they did see a substantial number of individuals between the ages of 24 and 44 actually uh, accounted for a lot of the hospitalizations. Um, So just because you're in your 20s, 30s, and early 40s doesn't mean that you're off the hook. Um, You should still be uh, very uh, uh, tuned in to what's going on with this virus and, and how to protect yourself.
1: Absolutely, and I like your point about you. If you are younger and you do have these symptoms, even if you're, you know, asymptomatic, you could still transfer to older people who, you know, will have a harder time with it. And I think it's just another important reminder: social distancing. You know, it's everyone sacrificing right now, for sure.
0: Yeah, and and the the amount we're starting to really appreciate how much asymptomatic patients are. Um, At least, you know, in some studies, anywhere between fifteen to twenty percent of people don't have any symptoms whatsoever, which is great for that person, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't spread. And so we're, we're seeing some really good studies that are now really coming out that, that are being published that says, um, that this uh, virus can spread a few days before you even develop symptoms. And it may be some of the people who do not, who never develop symptoms can still spread the virus. So it's, again, very important that we all stay tuned, uh, looking for all that good information that's from the CDC and World Health Organization or your State Department of Health to figure out exactly what you're supposed to be doing to keep yourself safe as well as everybody else around you.
1: So, Dr. Esper, is it true that ibuprofen makes COVID-19 worse or that we shouldn't be treating symptoms uh, with ibuprofen because it, it's more dangerous?
0: Yeah, that, that's been a, a topic of discussion for the last month or so. Uh, someone from, uh, I believe it was from France that, that, that suggested that we shouldn't be using, um, it was like, I think it was the health foreign minister uh, for France that said uh, in a tweet, we shouldn't be using ibuprofen, but did not give us any data. back that up, nor have we seen any studies to this point that suggest that we shouldn't be using ibuprofen. People should still feel very safe about using ibuprofen if they have a fever, if they have body aches, um, and that at this point in time, we do not believe it causes any worse infection uh, or worse disease. Now, The the coronavirus can cause bad disease by itself, whether you have ibuprofen on or not. Um, What we do know is, though, is that certain individuals who have other medical problems should not necessarily take uh, the ibuprofen. So if you have kidney disease, you may not want to take the ibuprofen, not because of the coronavirus, just because it may cause problems with your kidneys. So talk to your doctor as to whether or not ibuprofen is okay for you. But from this coronavirus standpoint, as the data is right now, it's okay to use ibuprofen, Advil, Motrin, all that stuff.
1: So I wanna talk a little bit about testing. So people who are having symptoms of coronavirus who are talking to their doctor and maybe they don't qualify for testing, maybe they're not in these high risk um, kind of age groups or, or groups in general, and they're really frustrated about that. Can you talk a little bit about just the, the reason, reasoning behind it or um, give advice for why the testing isn't available to certain, certain people? Yeah, I think, I
0: think when it comes down to it, when, when we actually go back and we will get through this and we go back and, and look back at what, what were some of our successes and what were some of our shortcomings, certainly the ability of testing is going to be one of the shortcomings uh, for this particular health crisis. We wish we had more tests out there. We wish we could test everybody who wanted to be tested or just everybody in general so that we could tell you what, who does and who doesn't have this infection it would make isolation and, and controlling this virus so much more easier. But we can't. Um, the, it's not even about how, in the beginning, it was do, who can do the, the, the test. And then it was about who has enough machines to do the test. And now we don't even have, or we're running out of swabs to actually swab somebody's nose or swab someone's throat. Um, a lot of this uh, is, has led to limitations. And so we had to be very, very uh, deliberate as to who we test and why we're testing them. I would love, if you're having symptoms, if you're having fever, if you're having cough, you know, that's certainly something that I would say, yeah, I would like to offer you a test. And for those people who are 60 and above, that's absolutely what we're doing here um, at the Cleveland Clinic. Or if you're sick enough that you're getting admitted to the hospital, we're absolutely going to be testing you. Um, Or if you're a healthcare provider and have, if you're infected, you could be spreading it to a whole bunch of other people. You certainly will be tested if you're having any symptoms. But for those people who are not having symptoms or those people who are just at home, they're doing fine, they're just on the couch, um, they're probably not going to get tested at this point in time. Now that leads, leads to a question is, will you ever know? Uh, the answer is there will be a blood test eventually, and we're talking about that right now. There will be a blood test to see whether or not you ever had the infection, whether or not you were ever exposed to the infection, and we could do that with blood tests, but that's gonna be way in the future uh, when we have you know the ability to do that right now. Not everybody's going to be able to get tested, but we are increasing the number of tests that we do each and every week. And we will eventually get to the point where, yes, we can offer you a test for everybody who wants to do it, but we're just not there right now.
1: So in Ohio, we are estimated to peak in mid-May, and I know previously it was mid-April, yeah. and there's probably a lot of frustration around that for those who are practicing social distancing, working from home, who, or who maybe you know are, are not able to work right now. Can you explain a little bit about our prediction models for COVID-19 and, and why they may be changing at this point?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is all about, you know, uh, people making their best estimates. They're, they're, they're writing their predictions out. Um, and a lot of this is very, very, you know, complicated calculus where they're writing everything down on a piece of paper and they're putting out a, this is when we expect uh, the things to happen. But if you remember last year, you know, the, on paper, the Browns were supposed to go to the Super Bowl. Well, that didn't happen. All right, you have to understand that these are just predictions, and these predictions are only as good as the assumptions that are made when you do these uh, uh, these these predictions. And sometimes this virus has been throwing curveballs ever since it started. And and, you know, it's gonna it's gonna do what it does. What we can say um, is that we do expect that the next few weeks are going to be worse uh, than the last few weeks. We expect this these next several weeks coming up two to three uh, may lead to the, the highest number of cases. But what we can also say is that if uh, because what we have done here in Ohio and certainly here in Cuyahoga County, in Northeast Ohio, all that, everybody has really been all in on social distancing. The governor has been extremely aggressive on social distancing and, and everybody has really followed his lead and the lead of our uh, uh, state health department and uh, its director. Um, and because of that, we have definitely seen some suggestions that things are doing a heck of a lot better here than in other places where either the population hasn't or the govern, their, their governors have not really pushed on the social distancing. Um, what you will find is that um, because we did things so well, we may actually have to deal with the, the, the circulation so much a, a little bit longer because we're preventing this virus from moving from place to place. It's going to go very, very slowly. It's having trouble. And because it's going very slowly, a peak is going to be a lot longer off. Whereas you look in, Ohio, in places where there's been a huge burst of infection, an uncontrolled infection, exponential spread of infection, places like Italy um, and, and what seems to be going on in New York, they're going, to peak even, they're going to peak earlier because everybody gets infected all at once. But that's what we're trying to avoid. All right. Um, and so just because you see so many people get infected so quickly and their peak happens, but that's, you know, by the time it's all done, it's scorched earth. Everybody got infected and they all got infected at the same time, which is what we are trying to not happen here, where the whole uh, health system, the police system, the fire department, the electrical workers, they all get sick at the same time and all the systems fall apart. That's what we're doing. So we are doing our job and we're um, succeeding. But that comes at a cost, and that cost is is that the the, the peak may be a little bit later than what we want. But it ain't going to be nearly as high that's going to cause us a lot of problems.
1: I'm curious. So are we possibly will not see the peak in mid-May? Will it be pushed out even longer if we keep doing the social distancing and doing what we're doing?
0: I think, I think, no, I think, I think it's going to happen, you know, late April, early May. That's my, that's my prediction uh, for, what, for whatever it's worth. I do think, as I said before, the, the, the summer is not um, a magic bullet, but it is yet another influencer against this virus. And so I have a feeling that what we're going to see is uh, a substantial downturn in the virus. Hopefully, in conjunction with the social distancing, we're going to see a, a really big lull uh, if not all, you know, go away entirely. I mean, that seems like a long time from now, but I do expect that between those two things, uh, we're going to see a substantial decrease uh, in, you know, late May, early June, you know, and hopefully throughout the summer. And then the question is, does it come back? And then that's a, that's another podcast for another time.
1: Absolutely. So what would be your advice to people about grocery shopping. So I know that, you know, we're still allowed to go to the store, go to the grocery for our essential items. What advice would you give to people when they do have to go out and, and make a, a grocery shopping trip? Right. Um,
0: well, you, you, you have to go, right? Um, you know, you know, to, to, to protect yourself from this virus, you're not supposed to, to, you're supposed to isolate yourself as much as possible, but also to live, you have to eat. Okay, so you need to go and you need to go to the grocery store. You need to go to get um, those items that you need for you and your family. The best thing to do uh, is to really try to minimize the amount of trips that you go to the store to really focus on what you need for the next week. And if you can do it once a week rather than two to three times a week or every day, you certainly don't want to do that because every time you go into a store, that's an enclosed space and that enclosed space can really uh, aid in the transmission of, of this particular virus. So going there once uh, a week is much better. And also, it's generally, if it's only one person, rather than a group, I know that we all want to get out. I know that every, you know, the kids are, are just anxious to do something, anything, even grocery shop. Before I had, to, you know, I, I had to pull them out of the house in order to go grocery shopping. Now they're just, please get me out of here. But uh, the answer is, is that usually just to have one person, that goes and does the shopping uh, and, then, and then comes back um, with, with the groceries rather than a group and try to do it uh, less often um,
1: as, as feasible. And I'm assuming probably avoid peak store times, probably now, just again trying to separate yourself.
0: Yeah, you do, you do want to avoid peak store times, but I have no idea when peak store times are because everyone's been told not to go you know, in you know, during peak store time. So everybody is showing up in early in the morning and everybody's showing up late at night and those are now the peaks. So I'm not sure exactly what the peak store time is anymore. Um, But, you know, certainly, and as well as everybody is home. So even throughout the day, people, you could find things. It's usually best, you know, I don't really try to to say this is the time you should go. Everybody's a little different. Every store is a little different. But there's certainly, um, when you're at the store, trying to avoid uh, the contact and making sure that everybody keeps themselves a safe distance apart. I I was at the store uh, about three, four days ago, and everybody really was. I mean, there were people who were very conscious of, oh, someone's coming down the aisle, I'll wait here, and then we move. And, and, And I think that's the best way to play it.
1: Absolutely. So when we are coming home from the grocery with our items, should we be sanitizing everything that we bring home, maybe out on the deck before we bring it in or before we put it in the car even?
0: Right, that's, that's a great question and it has not really been well answered. This point in time, I have not seen any good science that says that uh, we are getting uh, infected from the items that we're bringing home from a grocery store. That being said, there is absolutely no problem uh wiping off uh a a box of cardboard um or a uh you know a a plastic you know bag you know full of noodles or something like that that's fine you should certainly though feel very good about um the food that's within a carton or the food that's within a package okay that's that's safe all right the question is is the package itself have any of these viral particles we go back to the point where we say we don't even even if there were is there really enough to cause infection probably not when it comes to things like produce, it's always been our recommendation that you wash it off. Um, it's always been our recommendation that you rinse off um, the produce with uh, you know, cold uh, water. You don't need to sanitize it. You definitely do not want to use disinfectants on an apple or things that you're about to, to, to eat. But washing that off with cold water has always been a good recommendation, not just for this uh, virus, but for all the other different types of germs that are out there. Uh, so I definitely would encourage that.
1: Great. So I want to talk a little bit about being outside, you know, going outside to exercise. We've been told that's okay. Walking the dog is okay. What recommendations do you have for people who are going to go outside?
0: Well, generally when you do go outside, again, just like when you go to the store, um, you try to keep your distance from everybody. Uh, and unfortunately, really going outside is all we've got right now. <laughs> Every store is closed. All the movie theaters are closed. There's nothing for us to do. and So everybody's going to the um, the parks. Uh, and going to uh, the trails, I was, I, when I went to one, uh, I was so surprised at how many people were, I mean, the, the cars were lined up down the road, every parking lot was full. I mean, it was almost like at, at an amusement park where you had to wait in line to get on a trail. It was it was pretty funny. Um, and it was great to see people. I mean, there's, there's something to be said that when we're all squirreled away in our houses, um, there's something nice to be actually see that there are other people that are out there um, doing normal things like walking a dog, or jogging or just taking a baby for a stroll you still need to maintain your distance and now in some places where there's a lot higher uh, incidence they were talking about uh, you know uh, closing down parks just because there were too many people in uh, too small of an, uh, of an acreage um, but thankfully at least around here that is not the case it is a great opportunity for you to get outside it's very healthy for you It's very healthy for your family and you can stay together as a family But you should stay away from other families. So if you have a, if you want to walk with neighbors, you got to stay apart from them, Uh, that you have to, you know, you don't want to, you know, everybody who's living in the same household, absolutely, you can stay, you know, close proximity, because that's how you're living. But you still, for the best um, uh, way to keep yourself safe, you still need to keep some distance between yourselves and other people who are outdoors as well.
1: Sure. So I wanted to ask you, so I'm a runner, and this has kind of come through my mind a couple times when I've been out, and I know the recommendation is to stay six feet apart from, you know, the person. And, you know, when you're running, you're huffing and puffing, and there's wind all around. I'm curious if, do we need to, especially as a runner, go out of our way to avoid other people on the sidewalk? You know, does the wind carry the virus from, you know, me to the person? a little bit ahead of me on the sidewalk?
0: Yeah, I I think, well, there may not be an exact science. Um, uh, The six foot rule pretty much uh, applies for everybody in every situation. Um, A lot of times the virus, when you talk about the way the virus wants to spread, it usually spreads by somebody coughing. Um, It usually spreads by somebody sneezing. And then basically what they're doing is they're expelling these little small droplets um, that can then go um, quite far. Uh, usually six feet is their max. When you're running, you know, you may be breathing hard, but you're not really getting that type of force out that's going to be able to expel something so so far away. Uh, And so I wouldn't be too worried. I think the six-foot rule will still apply whether you're running, jogging, or what have you.
1: Good. That's great advice. So the last thing I wanna talk to you uh, here is about prevention. So I think it's safe to say a lot of us, you know, have heard the messaging around what we can do to help protect ourselves and to help stop the spread of COVID-19. But I think it always is worth repeating. um, How can we protect ourselves? How can we stop the spread or prevent the spread from getting worse?
0: You know, the, 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 we're doing everything there is. Now, you know, around the United States, everybody's doing something a little bit different. Every state's a little bit different, whether it's in what they're restricting or when they start restricting it. Uh, but uh, certainly the social distancing is one of the best things that we have seen to prevent the spread from going further. Uh, I, like I said, this virus cannot live outside the body. And so unless you give it uh, a, a, a way out, For it to find someone else, uh, it's it's going to die off. It's going to be a dead end. Um, So if you happen to be infected, the best thing that you could do to to prevent this from spreading is to minimize who comes in that you could actually infect. And that's where the whole people are wearing masks um, when they're working with um, patients who are ill because that prevents that virus from um, causing an infection. These, these viruses, all of them, including this coronavirus, they, they have, they have a, a similar way of doing things. They are hit and run, all right? They infect you, they've got five to six days to, to make a whole bunch of, uh, you know, millions and millions of virus babies, and then they get those virus babies out to somebody else. That is what they want to do. Make, make a note, though, at no point in time does the virus really want to kill the person. All right? It doesn't need to kill you. It just needs you to cause a lot of virus babies to come out and then spread it to someone else. Whether you live or die it doesn't make a difference to the virus. Honestly, the, the most successful viruses are actually the ones who let you be a little less sick so that you still go to work, you still go to school, you still go to the grocery store. You don't even know that you're, or you don't feel that bad. You think, ah, oh, it's just a bad cold. And that's why we don't even care about the cold viruses. This one obviously is, is very, very um, uh, it can cause people to get very, very sick. But one of the reasons why it spreads so well is that there's a substantial number of people aren't so sick. And that's how they were able to, to spread it before we realized what was going on. But in order to prevent this virus from spreading, the best thing you could do is right now, if you're sick, you stay home. If, you know, for the people who aren't sick, to make sure that they don't get in contact with other people who could be sick. And a lot of people, could be sick and they don't even know it. So it's always good to think that everybody is a possible um, person who could be infected. And that's not to say to shun everybody, all right? This virus is not some sort of you know, pariah or anything like that. It's just this is where, um, you know, this is what the virus does. Uh, but to also make sure that you keep a safe distance and you wave happily to your neighbors and you wave happily to all the kids that are on the bikes as they go up and down the street, that's absolutely okay. Um, but that's one of the best things that we can do right now. Uh, then also the best thing you can do is to stay atop of all the recommendations that are coming out from the Centers of Disease Control. They're coming out from your State Department of Health uh, and the World Health Organization. Remember, just keep, keep using those sites to tell you how to, to stay safe and uh, what's going on in the world and any new recommendations that you're able to follow.
1: Absolutely. That's wonderful advice to end with. So thank you, Dr. Esper, for taking the time to share such great advice and information with us. I know so many listeners uh, will find what you have to say say really valuable today.
0: Yeah, it's happy to do it, Cassandra. Thank you.
1: For the latest news about COVID-19, visit clevelandclinic.org slash coronavirus. If you want to listen to more Health Essentials podcasts featuring experts at Cleveland Clinic, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from or visit clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast. And don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, all one word to stay up to date on the latest health news and information about coronavirus, as well as your own health and wellness. Thanks again for listening. Take care of yourself and stay safe.